Good evening, church. Thank you. So, if you've noticed from the bulletin or Jake mentioning it, I'm preaching through 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus tonight, which is three books of the Bible. And that's because preaching through one book is just too easy. And Brendan Hoover preached through two a couple weeks ago, so I'm preaching through three now. Um, so it, it may take a little bit longer, maybe not an hour and a half, um, but we'll, we'll get through this and it's going to be great. So we're going to be in 1 Timothy. We'll go ahead and go there. And my main point for tonight, for the pastoral epistles, is that they show us God's design for the office of elder and his care for the church through the work of the elders. And these are called the pastoral epistles because they are letters for pastors, for the building up of pastors, and for us to understand what the, the job of the pastor is for the leadership of the church. And so he writes to Timothy and Titus, as the names would imply. And um, they are about good, faithful leadership and what that looks like. So if you like good leadership, and if you like the way uh, or just thinking about the operation of the church, then these are some really good books for you to look into. I would highly suggest you go and read through these books uh, because we are not going to be able to read every bit of all three of these books tonight. Uh, but there is a lot of good stuff in here. And there's a lot that goes outside of just the main point of the, the elder and what does the elder do. And so I want you to, to take a look at that. But... Um, we see in these passages God's heart for his people. We really see God's heart for his people because God truly cares about his church. And one of the main ways that God cares about his church is by putting good leaders in the churches. Good leadership is super important. It's one of the most essential parts to a healthy church. And it is a big mistake to take that for granted. That is having good leaders. And we in our church, we have four elders of good leaders. And we can just tell that we care about our leaders because of the giant faces that are here watching you all the time. So our elders are always looking over you. And that just shows you how much they care about you. And so, but like I said, many churches, they don't, they don't have great leaders. And they don't put good leaders in their churches or put them above themselves um, even though they have these Holy Spirit-inspired words um, of the pastoral epistles in, in, available to them. And that can be for many different reasons. I remember going to Peru um, maybe five years ago now. I spent about a month in the country of Peru with um, some friends that I, that I have there. And I was just thinking about what may be some ministry opportunities in the future. I was thinking about going to Peru. And one of the, the big things about the churches in Peru is that there are so many small churches, so many little house churches everywhere. Not really a lot of big churches anywhere, um, but these, a lot of really small churches. And the reason for that is that there are, it, it, it became a popular thing for a lot of the men in all these different neighborhoods to take on pastoring as a job so that they can support and get some money for their families. And so they would just have these small churches with people around them, their neighbors and the small community. They would meet up every week and they would be in these house churches 
and um, a man would lead, and they would sing songs, maybe read something out of the Bible, and they would take an offering, and that was that's like the main church service in the uh, city of Iquitos in Peru. And this obviously is not a very great way of doing church. It, these leaders are just simply people who want to have make some money and provide for their families, um, but they don't really have any training, and they're not really operating like a church. And so that's one of the things that really popped up to me while I was there. But even here and around the world, we take that, that same, there's the same kind of mindset, even with larger churches, in that um, a lot of times there's church pastors of large churches who treat the pastorate job um, like a way to get money or get other things from their congregation. And they'll say things like, give to the church, give today, and you'll be able to reap the harvest. You'll be able to reap bountifully God's blessings in your life. And that would imply the health and the wealth um, aspects of life, and, and I've seen that. And that is also a very dangerous way of doing pastoring. That is, that is not good. And that is one of the reasons why I chose this passage in Ezekiel that we read for the call to worship. I was reading through the book of Ezekiel, and I noticed this section where God is talking about his um, sheep and how much he cares for his sheep. But there's the pastors that God has put, the, the, um, the leaders in Israel, who are leading over God's sheep, but they're taking advantage of them. They're feeding themselves. And so we have these lean sheep, and we have these pastors who are, who are feeding themselves and getting, and getting all these benefits from doing this at the expense of the sheep. And God hates that. God abhors that. And that's why you see the beautiful passage about the promise of God being the shepherd for his people and how awesome that is because God is not going to mistreat us or use us. He's going to give us everything that we need and completely satisfy us as our shepherd. And we can trust him. So, it is a very good thing, considering how dangerous it is to have bad leaders, considering how much God hates the, the misuse of pastorate, that it's a good thing that we have books like 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus to go to and to understand what it means to be an elder and to be a church underneath the leadership of an elder, Okay. And for the remainder of the, the message tonight, I will be saying elder, although this is called pastoral epistles, and the, the pastoral epistles use the words overseer, pastor, and also elder. These are all three words that go together. They mean, they mean basically the same thing, okay? But because we have elders here, I'm just going to be using the word elder. And I'm going to divide up um, this message into three parts. Three parts um, that there's three different themes throughout all the pastoral epistles. And it's one, there's chapters on the elder himself, who the elder is supposed to be. There's chapters on the duty of an elder, what the elder is to do. And then third, there are chapters that have focuses on those who are underneath the elder's leadership. So those under his leadership is my third um, section tonight. And it's going to be primarily about the church conduct and how, they're, how we're supposed to behave as a church. Okay, and, and in this process, we're going to find ourselves in every chapter of each of these books, just briefly. Okay? Now, first, the elder. We're going to look at who the elder is. And pop quiz, does anyone know where to find 
the qualifications for an elder in the Bible. There's two chapters. You think to yourself, you should know this. It is 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus 1. So you can go ahead and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3 if you would like. Um, what I did was I looked at both of these passages, and they have very similar lists on the qualifications for an elder and what an elder is supposed to be. And I just took the combination of those where they, um, where they meet, and I just made a list of those qualifications for an elder. And I'm going to read those off for you, and you can see a lot of them in 1 Timothy chapter 3, okay? And think about this. Um, think about your the elders here, or, or think about how, you know, just how particular and outstanding um, um, an elder is called to be based on these, this list of, of qualities, okay? The first, above reproach, basically without blame. He is to be the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, holy and disciplined, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, gentle, peaceable, not a lover of money, able to manage his household well, experienced as a believer, meaning not a recent convert, well thought of by outsiders, and he must hold firm to the trustworthy word to give instruction in sound doctrine and to rebuke those who contradict it. And if you think about these qualifications that I just read, you will notice that they can be summed up in one statement here. I just turn it into one statement. An elder must be a man who has become mature in sanctification with a clear reputation and is able and is capable of teaching sound doctrine. Okay? Let me read that again. An elder must be a man who has become mature in his sanctification with a clear reputation and is capable of teaching sound doctrine. That is what an elder must be in order to be qualified to be an elder. And that is the starting line for eldership. Okay? And it's an impressive list of qualities for a man to have. But we must not settle less for what God has ordained for this position. Okay? Because, like I've said, it is very important to God that his elders be qualified or his, uh, his shepherds be qualified um, to take care of his sheep. Okay? And then you'll also notice that in these two chapters, you also have the qualifications for a deacon, but I would include these under the section of those under his leadership, those under the leadership of the elder as part of the church that's designed to serve and support the elder, okay? And now for the greater part of the chapters of the pastoral epistles, number two is the duty of an elder or what the elder is called to do. So we're going to be moving through a bunch of different passages here. So I hope you have your Bibles, and I hope this is able to keep you attentive because you're going to be moving around a bit. So we're going to be starting in 1 Timothy chapter 1. In these books, we see primarily in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy that Paul uses a lot of language that gives command. Do this, do that, command you, um, therefore do this, things like that. So he has a lot of passages that are like that, and that's where I get this from, is his, his commands to the elders. And so that's what we're going to see here. And each time I move to a chapter, it is like the, it is the summary, basically, of, of that chapter and what the message is that Paul is trying to get across to the elders. Okay, So in 1 Timothy, in verse 18, uh, Paul says, This charge I entrust to you, 
And what he is referring to is he's referring to what he had said previously in verses 3 through 7 to make sure that no one teaches doctrine contrary to the truth. To make sure no one teaches doctrine contrary to the truth. So in 1 Timothy chapter 1, one of the main messages here for the elder is that they watch out for those who are trying to teach doctrine that is contrary to the truth. They must be capable and, and attentive to the truth that is being taught so that they can um, go against the, that, is, that, that is contrary. Okay? And then in, we'll just hop over 2 and 3 to chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. And therefore, because of this, he tells Timothy to train in godliness and keep a close watch on your teaching. And that is seen uh, in verses 7 through 8 and 16. Let me read uh, verse 16 for you in chapter 4, okay? Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. So keep a close watch on these things, on yourself and your teaching. And as a note, this right here shows you, as I was reading through this, that in the first verse that I read about the teachings of deceitful uh, spirits and the teachings of demons, it really brings to light the context of spiritual warfare. It really, I, I truly think that especially then and now in our churches, there is spiritual warfare and that there is um, there are teachings of demons, actual demons, and, and that are trying to deceive and draw people away from the truth. And so what that does, that puts elders on the front line of spiritual warfare. That puts elders right there needing to watch out for that teaching which would be coming from the forces of darkness. And I think that's what he's getting at here. And I think that still applies today, um, that there, people can get led astray, um, but that puts pastors in a position or elders in a position where they need to be watching out for that okay and then we're going to hop over to chapter 6 of first timothy in verses 3 through 5 we see a warning against false teachers thinking godliness is a means of gain therefore let's read verses 6 through 12 chapter 6 verses 6 through 12 but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmless desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God... Flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So we see here that an elder is to be the opposite of what we saw, what we see in verses 3 through 5, uh, false teachers thinking godliness is a means of gain. Godliness is not a means of gain. What he means here is this material gain again um, to where they will only practice godliness and grow in that as if it gets them something. But 
a pastor, an elder, is called to godliness with contentment, to be content with what he has, to pursue godliness for the sake of godliness, and to love God and pursue that. Now let's hop over to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 1 and 2 kind of have a similar theme of suffering. And his first commandment in the book of 2 Timothy is in verse 8. Verse 8, he says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Thinking about this verse, what does God give the power to do? In verse 8, what does God give the power to do? According to Paul for Timothy, God gives the power to suffer. Interesting. It's, it's interesting thought. That's a verse you can keep in your back pocket in case you talk to someone who, who tries to tell you that God wants you to have your best life now. God gives you the power to suffer for his name's sake. And in chapter 2, the same kind of, the same kind of flow, uh, we have a reference to suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And this suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus can be outwardly and inwardly. In chapter 1, Paul talks about how he is in chains and he is rejected by, uh, by several men particularly. They have walked away from him. And so that is a sign, that is something that Paul is telling Timothy that can happen to you. In this process, you can suffer outwardly like this. And today, our elders may not face the same kind of outward suffering, um, but it can put a, um, a wedge between relationships. It can make relationships really awkward if you're going to be faithful to the truth. Um, but in, or well, across the world right now, I just want to make sure you know, um, that in many nations, people are actually getting locked up for um, holding to the truth. That is very common. Outside of the U.S., it's a very common thing to get locked up for the truth. And then inwardly as well, suffering like a soldier can mean in chapter 2, verses 21 through 22, we see to cleanse yourself from what is dishonorable and flee youthful passions. So that can be hard. That actually can be really hard. It may, it may seem like just a simple verse, but for any of you who have actually tried to, to flee what youthful passions and dishonorable things, um, it can be pretty difficult. And it makes me think about Jesus' words in the gospel, in the gospels, multiple different passages, where uh, Jesus says that um, it is better for you to pluck out your eye or cut off your hand if it's causing you to sin instead of being thrown into hell with your whole body. That's pretty tough language to hear. That is suffering for the sake of growth and godliness, and that is something that we are all called to do, not just pastors, not just elders, but elders are to be, on the, uh, to be a, a shining example at the forefront of this kind of practice. And then chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, verses 13 and 14. Evil, evil people 
and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. So basically, what he's saying here is that things are going to continue to get worse. People are going to continue to sin. You're going to see all kinds of terrible sins, and they're going to continue to grow and change. But what you need to do as a man of God, as a leader, as an elder, is to persevere in the faith. Persevere. So what an elder is called to do is to persevere um, no matter how things change, no matter how bad things get around you. And then in chapter 4, lastly for this section, we have the title at the top. It is to preach the word. Let's read verses 1 through 5 of chapter 4. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears they will accumulate for themselves, teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So... Preach, preach the word, preach the word, and even if people don't want to hear it, preach the word. And that may seem pretty obvious for us for, as a job for a pastor, but that is one of the main parts of uh, being an elder is, is preaching the word faithfully. So I've said many things and pointed out many things to you all in this second section, um, but I want to give you guys a summary, okay, in case you're taking notes and you want to know what what the, the main things that Paul points out in each chapter for pastors or elders to do, um, here it is. In summary, Paul calls church leaders or elders to watch out for false teaching in the church, to watch their own teaching, to train in godliness, to pursue godliness with contentment, to suffer, to persevere, and to preach the word. And now we have just four more chapters left. I think I'm going through the chapters a little bit faster than I expected, but we only have four more chapters left in the third section, and that is about those under his leadership. And that is you, and that is me. I'm not an elder. Um, so it is largely about member conduct, how we are to behave in the church, and how it's supposed to operate. And so that's a really fun part to read for us. And that starts us in 1 Timothy chapter 2. You'll see pray for all believers is the heading. And that is what Paul is urging here for the church. He wants the church to pray for all people. That is verse 1. He also wants the men to be peace-loving and humble. Those aren't the exact words, but that's what you get from verse 8 of chapter 1. For men to be peace-loving and humble. And then in verses 9 through 11, for women to attend church modestly and with submissiveness. Now there are some, uh, this is a part of a passage that is commonly um, controversial. Uh, I won't be getting into all that, but um, what I think what I will leave you with is what God says um, is more important than 
how we may feel or, or any of those things. We must respect the word of God and, and submit all submit under his, his word and teaching and leadership. All right. And then we have chapter 5 of 1 Timothy. Chapter 5 of 1 Timothy is about honoring the widows and honoring elders. Josh, uh, Josh Green mentioned this this morning in prayer as we prayed for widows, that it is a very significant part of the church, and I will strongly agree. Uh, it has been a very significant part of the church from the very beginning of the church, and I'm pretty sure that the, create, the whole creation of the position of the deacon was over the care of the widows, right there at the beginning of the church. And God is very serious about the widows and being taken care of. And what Josh also mentioned this morning is that the family is first to take care of the widow. Um, it, but if the family is not capable or not present to take care of the widow, then it is a responsibility of the church. And that would leave no widows not taken care of. And now what I, we've seen, what I, I've seen in uh, a couple places in the world is that there is a problem with widows not being taken care of, and that is because there's no church present. No, no family and no ch church um, leaves a lot of people suffering. Okay? And so one of the big things that we need to do if we're going to establish a church in an area is to make sure that the widows of the church in the area are taken care of. And then also honoring elders. All right, and as I'm, since I am not an elder, I uh, do not feel selfish in saying that, uh, that we should all really honor the elders, and that is a, also a significant part of church conduct, is what we are also called to do. And we can see that in verses 17 through 20. Let's read that, 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 20. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. So what we see here is that it, again, being an elder is a very serious position, and they, they are held to a high standard, um, but they also deserve double honor. So I hope that when we look at what an elder, who an elder is, and what the job of an elder is, we will see with greater appreciation the job of eldership. And as by an extension, we will find and strive ways to show our appreciation to them and honor them. Let's move over to Titus, where our last two chapters are, Titus 2 and 3. Titus 2 is a small chapter uh, urging all people in the church to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. And Paul is reminding Titus, teach these things. Teach these things to the church to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. 
And it, when he says present age, that gets you this, uh, this feeling of, hey, here we are now. This is where we are, and this is what we're called to do. This is what we're supposed to be pursuing because we have a mind towards the kingdom. We're in the present age, and we have a mission. We have a goal, and there is an age to come that we are preparing ourselves for. So teach the church, elder, that they are to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Um, and then in chapter 3, let's look at verses 1 through 7. Chapter 3, 1 through 7. We remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So Paul is telling Titus to remind the church to show perfect courtesy to all people because we were also living in sin before Jesus saved us. Now this personally hits home for me. This, in my process of becoming a more mature believer, um, there was a change, there became a change in my life. Early, well, throughout a large portion of my life, I was surrounded by a lot of wickedness, a lot of sin, a lot of darkness, um, and especially even after becoming a Christian in high school, I would see just the depraved nature of the people around me, specifically my family, um, that would cause me to almost look at them with disgust or anger because of who they were and the things that they did. And what that does whenever you have anger for people like that is it puts a barrier between you and them. And if you're going to reach them with the gospel, then there can't be a barrier that you have put up between you and that person. And I think what Paul is telling us here and what I came to realize is that they need the grace of God in their lives just like he has already given to me. I was also sinful. I was also doomed and depraved and had new hope. But God saved me through Jesus Christ, and he has changed me. He has put me through the process of sanctification. He has made me who I am today. And the reason I don't do those things and the reason I'm so different than these other people is because of what God has done in my life, and it's not because of stuff that I do. It is grace. And so the thing that I'm angry about is a difference of grace. And if I then turn my anger to remorse and care for those people, then there's a possibility that they may be reached with the gospel and they may also receive the same grace that I received. <clears throat> so that's what Paul wants Titus to tell his church, that they were all once sinners as well. And that they should be reaching those outside um, that they may also receive that same grace. Now, as members of First Baptist Church of Fairdale, we should see uh, God's heart for the church through his will for the leaders and what he wants for the leaders of the church and how strict he is on them 
and how much he puts on them is a way he shows love for us. Because if he did not, then that means we wouldn't have great leadership and we may go astray. We may be like sheep that walk off and get caught up in a ditch somewhere and we don't, no one cares to pick us up. No one cares to take us out um, or many other things like that. Um, we should be a church that strives to ease the suffering of the elders through our own sanctification as well because we are not to be a church who sits back and then lets the elders do everything, right? Because they're elders, but we're also called to do something. So we should strive to grow in our own sanctification. That is one way that you can appreciate the elders and help the elders is if you grow in your own holiness and godliness. And as we know, it is Pastor Appreciation Month, which for those of you who didn't understand why there's boxes with giant faces on them up front, that's not always here. Um, it is Pastor Appreciation Month. So how can you show your appreciation for your pastor? And I would suggest that take your, I would suggest you to take your time, think about that, think about how we can appreciate them because they need, they, the Lord wants us to give them double honor, wants us to honor and appreciate them um, because they have a big job. It's very important. And, and I know that I myself can um, think about that myself, and I would uh, urge you guys to also do the same tonight, okay? Right now and in, in, the, in the near future, especially as we're in uh, Pastor Appreciation Month. I want to end today by reading from the beginning of 1 Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, as like a benediction. It's a really good little paragraph here in 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 15, 15 to 17. Paul says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. I'll pray for us. Father in heaven, you deserve all honor and glory. You are so good. You have provided for us so well here in a smaller town of Fairdale, in Fairdale, Kentucky. Lord, this church has been blessed in many ways. And Lord, I pray that we will see that and we will grow from that. We will take this opportunity to grow in sanctification, um, that we will uh, come to appreciate you and, and thank you so much for the great care that you have for us as your sheep, that you would put pastors over us that would take care of us and, and, and lead us in holiness and discipline. And we pray that you will please be with our elders. Please help them to know how big of a job it is that they have, that they'll care so much about holiness in their church, that they will care about all the sheep that run around and get themselves into all kinds of junk. But Lord, we, we pray that you will, you will please bless this congregation, that we will stay together, that we'll love one another, and that we'll grow under their leadership. And we just pray that you will be glorified here 
in this church, in Fairdale, and abroad, all across the world. Because you are so good. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.